Hello, and welcome to the Business of Eye Innovation. In this podcast, we explore what's new and next in the world of ophthalmology. I'm your host, Victor Benedetti, and on today's episode, we look at world-class clinical sites, why we need them, and what it takes to be one. Joining us are two experts in clinical sites. Dr. Vance Thompson is a board-certified ophthalmologist based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, specializing in laser vision correction and advanced cataract surgery. He has been involved in more than 100 FDA clinical studies. Also joining us is Keely Pulse-Bover. She is the Director of Research at Vance Thompson Vision and has been in the eye industry for 17 years. She now oversees more than 40 trials at five different locations. Vance and Keely, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for thank having you us. For having yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the first question I was, as I was thinking about this, Vance, I wanted to start with you. When you were studying, um, you know, to be a surgeon, was the idea of incorporating clinical studies into your practice even on your radar? Well, it it, it really wasn't. You know, I mean, in in undergraduate, a chemistry degree, and medical school, and even interning, we would read a lot of scientific articles. And, and I had had the honor of doing cancer research in undergraduate. And, you know, I did some publishing in medical school. And so I had always had just kind of a, a natural interest in, in science. But as far as, you know, actual human clinical trials, it was really my fellowship with Dan Dury and refractive and John Hunkler and cataract surgery that kind of led to um, this beginning of a clinical trial interest because we did the legally blind PRK and PTK trials with the eczema laser in the United States in 1990. And it opened up a, a whole new world uh, that ended up being foundational and somewhat career defining, but that's kind of how one thing led to another. And what about for you, Keely? How did you get into this field? Yeah, it's been quite a journey. I actually, when I was about 18, thought I was applying to be a receptionist at a Pearl Vision. And so just over the years, you know, kind of worked through ophthalmology. And then when I came to Vance Thompson Vision, they said, hey, you have a lot of ophthalmology experience. How about research? And I said, I love a challenge. I love to continue to learn. Let's do it. And I could not have asked for a better blessing. It's just been amazing. It's really amazing how people come to these different uh, professions and how they evolve over time. So it's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, for you, Vance, because you've been involved in so many FDA clinical studies, what are the factors that, that you find are most important in terms of, you know, setting up those, those studies to begin with and the follow through that you have with the clients? It's a bigger process than I think a lot of people would understand. And, and I think if anybody is, is interested, it's a, it's a good idea to visit a center and be communicating with other centers that are performing active clinical research. Because I, I think the beginning of the journey just starts with respecting the fact that you already have oftentimes a busy team. And, and so having people like Keeley that, you know, can really focus on research and, and, and having a team of people, I think is one of the most important things so that 
you know, those things that made your practice successful, the clinical surgical work you're doing can continue. And then in addition, there's this research component that usually is a different set of, of people. The doctors oftentimes are, you know, working both in the clinical surgical side and the research side, since it's so clinical and surgical, but the staff, I think it takes a dedicated staff and dedicated space and to really uh, respect the, the process that well, the companies are looking for, even just the mere fact of when they show up for their monitoring visits to be able to have a space for them. And so when you go through respecting that process, uh, it ends up being a lot more details than a lot of people end up thinking in the beginning of answering the question, do I want to add clinical research uh, to my practice? Yeah, I would imagine that it's it's quite like a, not a different set of skills, but a, a different requirement, um, you know, that, that's being asked of both you as, as the doctor, but also as your staff. So Keely, have you found that it's been a challenge to to find staff that um, you know has that ability to, to focus and multitask as is necessary to include both clinical trials and a practice, an ongoing practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like Dr. Thompson said, we're very fortunate to have dedicated research staff. And I think um, that speaks high volumes to the kind of research that we wanna do and the doctor's dedication that we have. It's a big part of our practice is research. And, you know, we, we have had a couple of team members that have gone from teching to now being a coordinator. And the things that they'll say is, it's like I'm cooking like five different things on the stove at one time. And I have to figure out not how, have to figure out how to not burn any of them. And it's always juggling and, you know, figuring out what is the most important thing to do right now, but not getting lost in the weeds of there being so much to do. Yeah. So, so it's a very fine balance on research. I like that analogy. <laughs> you don't want to burn the patients. <laughs> um, Vance, in terms of you as a doctor, do you, do you feel like um, running clinical trials has affected your practice as well or how you practice, how you interact with patients perhaps? Well, um, definitely. Um, so I think it, it helps when you're educating your patient on, you know, something life-changing like eye surgery or what technology you're going to use. It's, it's nice to have a peek into the future also. And so understanding what's going on in research and development and having a close relationship with industry, I think helps the patient education process. And since you do need to really, uh, be keeping up with current knowledge and keeping up your, you know, clinical and surgical skills. I think that also benefits the practice uh, in the non-research uh, side of it. So this commitment to excellence kind of permeates the whole practice in both the research and the clinical and surgical side. And I, I will say that the relationships you build with industry in doing research also oftentimes leads to earlier access to advanced technology. And I think that's a benefit to the region that a research center is practicing 
uh, inside of. And, and so I, I feel like doing clinical research not only brings a ton of uh, professional satisfaction, but it actually, I think, leads to, to increased practice excellence. Now, it's interesting because your, your practice is based in South Dakota. Do you find, um, in terms of how clinical trials are set around the country, it, are you in a unique geographical uh, position you know, to offer something different um, to companies that are looking to take advantage of clinical trials? Well, for, I, I think personally, I would say that any practice that you know, because there's, we know there's a worldwide need for healthcare and that there's a worldwide need for eye surgical and medical care. So there is a patient population in every practice. And so there's good science to be learned. And, you know, the data mind, if you will, in every practice. And so it really involves more of a mindset than than anything else because the patients are there. And, you know, that mindset, it is something that it's, it's almost like a muscle that gets exercised more. And that the, the more you, you know, work with industry and the more you search out research that's happening and the, the more you set up the proper structure with your team and, your IRB and, and the different, um, you know, people that are involved in research in this world, uh, the more you realize uh, how much is available in your own, in your own practice. And, and so I don't really see a, a regional effect. I think it's a, a potential for anyone anywhere. I will say that one of the things that I think we enjoy in our particular geography is um, since it is more of a rural environment, the there's there's we have found very high success rate with patient compliance because one of the things that companies really want and you know um, governing bodies you know like the Food and Drug Administration they they want the rules to be followed and so if someone commits to a, a clinical trial. Um, and you make them see good with this new advanced implant or laser, the last thing you want is for them to drift away. You want that data. You want them to, to show up for their visits. And we would call that, you know, uh, patient compliance. And, and so in our, uh, you know, geography of kind of a rural agricultural environment, we find that we get really uh, high patient compliance. Um, but otherwise, I think the opportunity for research is in every clinical practice. That's interesting. I was thinking about that too, this idea of compliance and how you keep people coming back to get the information that you actually need. That's a good point. And Keely, for you, what, what other sorts of things go into that idea of a world-class uh, clinical site? What are the things that, that are most important that, that you have found? Yeah, I think what Dr. Thompson was saying about compliance is a big one. And I think, you know, it speaks volumes for our patient population and our team. Our team really builds relationships with our research patients. At the end of a study, there's often hugs and sometimes even tears when they graduate from our program because 
you know, you've become just a part of their family and a part of their life for sometimes it's, you know, a couple weeks, but most of the time our studies are a couple years. We've had 10 year studies and you've, you know, gone through weddings with them and family events. And it's just a great um, relationship that's been built. So our team plays a huge role in the success of our research and doing world-class research. I think also um, being okay with, you know, kind of exposing your mistakes and taking responsibility and accountability for your mistakes is a big part of research. Um, You know, there's a quote that I like by Benjamin Franklin that's, if we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called research. And I think it's very, very true. Um, This is all new. It's sometimes first in human. And we're learning, the sponsoring company is learning, everyone's learning and that's how we get better. And so when we make mistakes, we're a practice that's going to go to the sponsor or go to the IRB or the FDA. And even sometimes if it's not a reportable one, we're, you know, saying, hey, we did this. We just want to make you aware. Um, And I think that earns a lot of trust with sponsors and it earns a lot of trust with the governing agencies as well. Absolutely. How long does it take to get um, to get approved as an FDA clinical site? Oh, my gosh. Well, Sometimes uh, we can hear about a study and three years later, we're just getting started on it. And sometimes it can be like a 510k study and it can be up and running in 60 days. It, it often but depends on the technology and how much back and forth is going on with the FDA and then also how much um, resources the sponsor is willing to put into getting that study up and running. Dr. Thompson, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. So the, the the last one in particular, I think, is is really important because when the innovation process, sometimes when something is is a, a new idea that has now been um, actually gotten to a, a device or a drug, it can be a ten year journey for that company, and you know something that used to you know. 10 or 20 years ago, it cost $10 million to bring to market can be 100 to $200 million to bring to market. And so time is definitely money and it can define success or failure. And so being uh, a practice who recognizes these things, um, patient recruitment becomes really important. How quickly, uh, well, doing everything, you know, accurately and being a rule follower, can you get the patients that are necessary for these various protocols to fill so that the, you know, statisticians and the FDA and everything that is in the process uh, that leads to a hopeful approval can happen efficiently. And so working with companies that are willing to invest in that process, sometimes it it means uh, the money that's going to go into the, the budgeting process and or, you know, how's a patient going to be respected for their time and their travel? And we find that the companies that are willing to invest in that process are the ones who get the you know fastest clinical trial recruitments and the fastest approvals. But there's a lot of variables that go into um, the, the ultimate approval of a technology. And, and so I think that's one of the nice things about 
you know, developing a reputation in research is that companies will come to you because they know that there's, there's this need for it to happen efficiently and having a dedicated team and staff uh, to do that is, is so important. Well, you, you bring up a really, I think, important uh, point about all this is the amount of time and money that these clinical trials can take. Have you found that um, that has changed over the years, that has either gotten to be a longer process or a shorter process? Um, do, you, do you see any changes on the horizon in terms of that sort of thing that, that would tend to make it challenging, especially for younger or smaller companies to go through this? I remember the first clinical trial uh, that I was in, and that was the blind eye study of PRK in 1990. And I'll never forget the, that, that first patient that I had the honor of helping with all the forms that the forms um, ended up being a, a taller stack than I was. And, and, and so um, that was amazing to me in the end, what it, what it took. Uh, just to, you know, get the data acquired uh, properly and accurately. And I think that we have some amazing um, agencies in this world, and we work with the Food and Drug Administration, and the responsibility that they're given to help, you know, bring new drugs and devices uh, to our country, but to try to do it in as safe as possible possible way, I've been fascinated with the process. Uh, but it does take time. And I think that, you know, the world working together and being able to use data from other countries that was acquired real, you know, accurately, um, and properly can really help the innovation process. I think electronic health records, I, um, I think is, 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 is helping to speed up Things And so technology that is being incorporated into clinical trials is, is making it more and more efficient. And I think that's, that's only going to get better. Mm -hmm. And we've gone from where you used to have carbon copies of source documents and you'd have to rip them off and mail them in. And then we went to faxing of source documents and now we're to EDC, which is electronic data capture systems. So even the technology of getting the data to the company, which then gets it to the FDA for approval has changed. And the most recent things that we've seen come out are instead of patient questionnaires where the patient has to come in or do a diary at home on paper, they're given tablets or iPhones or iWatches and they get to do their questionnaires at home very efficiently and quickly. And that data gets completely uploaded in real time into the data capture system. And um, there's also now, instead of doing vision on paper and box charts, you're doing it through a computer system. And all of these things are making it more efficient, in my opinion, and helping the process move along quickly. That's excellent. What other um, requirements do you feel that other sites that would be interested in, in conducting clinical trials need to address or what kind of credentials do they need um, you know, before they start investigating being part of this? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, uh, a, a center wants to kind of answer why they want to be involved in research, be because it, 
it is a lot of extra work and oftentimes already a busy professional life. And so if, but, but if it's something that sounds exciting and innovation moves them and challenges move them and they're fascinated with new technology and, and adding to, you know, the community of, 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 of providers that, you know, involves industry and regulatory bodies. Um, I think that answering that why I think is really uh, important and kind of having that mindset change that you're, you know, uh, a doctor and a team that is working on, you know, in general, a desired outcome or, or cure or improvement. And now you're switching your mindset that you're helping to, you know, answer a, a question. And, and, and that question isn't always going to be um, a positive end result. Um, there's no guarantees in research. And so you're helping the, the greater uh, good and helping to define the future. And I think it's really important to, to understand that. And obviously, you're working with governing bodies that have, um, you know, rules in place. So, for instance, an institutional review board um, is really a, an important group of people that is governed by the FDA that's going to be overseeing your clinical trials. And there's different types of IRBs, and it helps to learn about those IRBs and and to understand what gl- good clinical practices means and and to have your team trained and to, to keep up to date with, with all these uh, aspects, uh, such as you know, doing really, really good informed consent and understanding what a principal investigator is, which is oftentimes the doctor at that center who has a responsibility that is gonna be providing oversight and understanding what an adverse event is and maintaining accurate records and 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 knowing you know um, what a, a sub investigator is and making sure you ha- not don't have too many team members on a particular uh, protocol that someone is in in charge um, and 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 that's why the the team becomes you know so important and then you know how do you recruit you can't just advertise you have to have your advertising you know approved um, um, by the IRB. Uh, just like your informed consent has to be approved by, you know, the IRB. But there are very um, safe uh, ways to advertise a clinical trial, but you have to, you know, make sure and, 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 and put it through the proper channels. And, and like Keeley already talked about, the source documentation and the case report forms are, are so important. Um, and so, you know, that's just uh, a partial list of what it involves to do clinical research. But I will tell you, um, it'd be hard to imagine, besides the actual taking care of a patient um, themselves and, 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 and working closely with your team, which, you know, are the, the two favorite things I do, um, it it just would be hard to imagine something more impactful than the professional joy and satisfaction um, that comes with research. So it's really worth the effort. I was going to ask you because it's, it, it seems so clear that there are so many 
um, hurdles that have to be, you know, dealt with, not even overcome, but dealt with on a regular basis, you know, as, as you mentioned, finding the patients and all the um, the various regulations that you have to commit to, but there's something about it that fulfills you. You know, I can tell that there's something beyond, you know, the, the difficulty of it that makes it really worthwhile because it's something that you're really choosing to be a part of in this way. I think it all starts with the principal investigator, like Dr. Thompson kind of said, you know, it has to be your why. So I went to a conference one time and they talked about 85% of sites and investigators that start in clinical research only do one study and never do another one. Because as Dr. Thompson mentioned, that's a lot of work. And that 85% is a huge number of people that never do another trial again. And so the passion that you hear in Dr. Thompson's voice, it kind of trickles through all of us on the team. And, you know, it, it comes to us and it makes us want to be as passionate as him and do as good as him. And you really have to define your why and what your passion is. And then for me too, one of the biggest things is um, partnering with the right sponsoring company. So if it's going to be your first clinical trial, you want somebody that's going to support you. We say no to way more trials than we say yes to. And um, one of the things that's always stuck with me that Dr. Thompson said is, is this a study that we would do to ourselves or our family members? If the answer is no, then the answer is no for us to do the study. We want to make sure we're doing what's best for our patients as if they were our family. Um, and so just having that passion to do good for, you know, humanity and society and really trying our best is, is kind of key for us. That's really interesting. That's a good point, though, this idea that you actually say no to more trials and you say yes to. Is it fairly obvious to you when you see a proposal, whether it's going to be something you want to pursue or not? Yeah, so we want to do stuff that's new and innovative and going to make a difference. We also want to do studies that we feel like if we're committing to the sponsor, we're going to do a good job for them. You know, sometimes we say no to a trial and it's not because we don't think it's a really neat, impactful trial. It's because, as we mentioned, clinical trials cost a lot on, you know, sponsors and we want to be a good resource for them and understand that. And so if we're saying no, sometimes we'll say we're just not the best fit and we want you to find somebody better. Um, and then some, you know, Dr. Thompson can speak to it more. Sometimes we just don't think that it's something that we're interested in at this time. I agree. I, I think I think timing is a, a really important part of it because what the, the, the companies are asking for, who we would call the study sponsor, um, is that we're not too overwhelmed with other things, whether it's busy practice, uh, other clinical trials that you're open and honest about the fact that you have the, the bandwidth and capacity to do the clinical trial. And I think that um, for me, besides the, the mere fact of, of like Keeley said, doing uh, things for patients that we would consider doing for our loved ones and having that high standard, um, after that, starts to become the, you know, looking in the mirror and do you have the capacity to do this? And then after that, it really does start to become things like the business of it. And Keeley has developed a, uh, a, a specialty of understanding the budgeting process. And so when you're busy doctors, 
it, it helps to have someone on your team who really understands uh, how to break down a study and, you know, understand the, you know, in the, the time the investigator is going to be putting into it and the time the coordinator is going to be putting into it and the technician and the testing and the required equipment and, you know, um, whether there's going to be advertising and how many visits and for how long and, and to, at each visit, be able to micro-cost that down to each test and then to come up with a number that respects the institution. Because when you're a busy medical surgical clinic that's doing research, research isn't your uh, main source of income, if you will. Um, and, 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 and it's, it, it shouldn't be a money loser, but it sure can be if you don't handle the business of it properly. And that's where, you know, Keeley's been very, very good at that budgeting process because it's, it's, it's not, it's not good for anybody to be one of the 85% that just do it once. And, and for some reason, didn't enjoy the process or didn't budget property properly. And so that's why I would, I would say that, you know, listening to, you know, the answers to your wonderful questions, I think um, someone can start to get an idea of what it is like to do quality clinical research. But there's an amazing industry support and amazing, you know, um, you know what what we call CROs or, or contract research organizations, and the even the FDA websites, and and there's so much support out there to learn it properly, so that you get the uh, you know not only the joy and satisfaction, and you do quality research, but you help the world be a better place and move the needle forward for the patients of the future. Obviously these, these studies, you know, are multi-year studies. So instead of saying how many are going concurrently, how often do you start a new study or do you give yourself that kind of uh, paradigm? Um, it, we look at, we have a lot of spreadsheets um, as you can imagine in research, we have to be very organized and so um, recently, we've been starting about one new study a week, which might sound like a lot, but um, we do have five Vance Thompson Vision research locations now in five different um, parts of the mid and upper mountain and Midwest kind of area. Um, so we're doing a lot of research between IIT's sponsor-driven trials. Some of those are retrospective, some are prospective, some are first in human, some are phase four post-approval. But right now, across all of our locations, we're usually starting at least one new study a week. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> really quite, quite amazing. I, I think it's important to um, realize for someone listening that is, wants to get into research that that's, you know, accumulation of 30 years of research and, mm-hmm. um, you know, having the honor of being the part of a team of other fellow doctors and other leaders like Keeley that, you know, um, give us the capacity to do that. Um, now, 
in the beginning of my research journey, it would be, you know, one or two a year, <laughs> you know, so um, there's, there's nothing wrong with saying, I, I, I'm just going uh, to start with one, one protocol. And I'm going to do a, a, a really good job on that. And then my team uh, and myself and the study sponsor, we're going to sit down and say, how did that go? And to learn from the process. And by handling it methodically like that, you'll see your research program grow. But, there's, but, but this is definitely a case where you want to walk before you, you run. Yeah, really. And we still do that for reference. Um, so we have a site up in Alexandria, Minnesota, and they're just getting started in research and they're only doing one. And that's all they're going to do for a while. You know, we're going to see how it goes and we're really monitoring it closely internally. And the sponsor is helping us with that. And, you know, we discuss it a lot as a team. How is it going? Is this what, is this your passion with the principal investigator? Do you love this yet? Do you, do you want to do more? And so we still, at all of our locations, we walk before we run. Just a question. I know that, um, you know, you, you mentioned that 85% of, of people who or you know, clinical trials that get started, they just, that's their only one. They do one and they, they're done. Do you have any sense of why? What's the main reason why they decide that was not for me? I think it's resources. I think that um, research, me personally, I think for research, for a lot of doctors, they'll say, oh, that's exciting. I want to be a part of that. I want to do it. And they don't realize or have the resources to know it takes a full-time coordinator or a dedicated study coordinator and staff and the amount of time and that there is a specific protocol that you have to follow. You don't get to sign up and you know, sign the protocol signature page and sign up for the study and say, oh yeah, but I don't really want to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. No, you, you signed up for it. You agreed to it. This is how the study has to be ran. You don't just get to go off script. And I think that's hard when, you know, you're a doctor and you're used to making your decisions and being able to practice how you want. So sometimes that doesn't line up and sometimes you just don't put the resources in there. So you get burnt out on it. Dr. Thompson, what would you add or correct in that statement? Yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree with everything you just, just said, Keely. And, and I, I, I do think you get a long ways by first understanding your why. Why do you want to do research? Because it, you just don't want to have the, uh, you know, thinking that it's, you know, glamorous or that you're going to, uh, make a bunch more money or, um, you know, it's easy to uh, find patients and every patient qualifies. This, this is, in, 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 if, if your why is that you want to help make this world a better place for the future and you want to, you know, really be a rule follower um, and you really want to put in the, the time and you want to have a team that is dedicated and you're not um, asking your team to, to do too much um, and to, you know, uh, realize that these are, you know, real people that um, are coming in with a, a, a tremendous amount of confidence in you 
And 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 Doc, if you think this is good for me, then then I'm I'm very interested. Um, if you if you go into it with the 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 proper attitude, it literally can be one of the, the most rewarding things you will will do in your uh, career. Um, but the, there's just like the preparation it took to be become a great doctor or a great technician, um, you you just really want to put in the preparation so that your mindset uh, is proper in this arena too. And you just don't have any of some of these uh, misconceptions that can lead to, you know, you not wanting to do more of this. Can I um, share one of my favorite research experiences? So we, we were on the original cross-linking studies and we, helped get it to FDA approval and to market. But as you know, insurance doesn't just pick it up right away. So the company has only just began their journey of making this actually assess- accessible to patients. Well, we were fortunate enough to be offered another corneal cross-linking study for a lot more patients um, until insurance was approved. And we got the opportunity to help so many patients and prevent so many corneal transplants by being in that study and the joy that came from the patients and the joy that came from our team of seeing how much we could help by participating in research. That is something that will stick with me forever. And it's one of my biggest whys for research is just helping the patients and getting the opportunity to help the patients. Dr. Thompson, what would, what would you say your biggest win in research or something like that would be? Well, you know, um, it's, it's hard to say one after, you know, having so many and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never, uh, forget, you know, after being involved in the development of PRK and LASIK, and that led to it being involved in smile. I, uh, I'll never forget originally um, and this is just true confessions. When I was asked to investigate fake IOLs, um, I said, no, I, I just didn't imagine that we would be doing that uh, to, you know, some, some, an eye that's fakeic putting an implant inside of it. And, and I'll never forget, um, you know, George Waring III, um, one of the most famous refractive surgeons of, 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 I think all time, but definitely in my career, he um, calls me from overseas and he was doing some research in Saudi Arabia. And he said, Vance, I uh, was the one who put your name up for this research. Um, and you did uh, such a nice job in the laser vision clinical trials. Um, why, why did you say no? And I, I told him I was just being honest. I just didn't imagine if I was a high myope that I would, I would do that myself. And he said, could I ask you to take a closer look? And, and I said, I would, be, I, would be, I would be honored to, especially with you asking. And the conversation was longer than uh, for this program. So I hopped on a plane and... Um, you know, I, I'll never forget this trip. Dr. Richard Lindstrom 
went with me. We land in Amsterdam, we get a car and we eat our way halfway across the Netherlands. <laughs> and we end up in Groningen with Professor Jan Vorst and one of the most uh, famous anterior segment surgeons uh, ever. And uh, we spent a week there uh, watching phacic IOLs. And we uh, both decided we were going to be in the clinical trial in the U.S. And we came back. And when we were implanting phacic implants in 20 and 25 diopter myopes, that was, uh, that was some of the most impactful uh, work, work I, had, I had performed. And it just was an example of I was a little bit short-sighted and fortunately a colleague guided me down the path of taking a deeper look and had thus the honor uh, of participating in something that ended up helping uh, a lot of patients with high refractive error. Um, but that's what research can bring to your life as long as you don't forget a step that I was about ready to forget is to say no before doing a deeper dive. A good lesson for anyone that's looking to go into clinical studies. Well, thank you both so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your expertise and your experience in setting up clinical trials, which is no mean feat by any means. And so I think you you have made a, a good case for people who are interested in it to um, to look more seriously at it and ask that question, that why question. I think that's that should be the title of this, <laughs> the big why about clinical trials. So thank you both so much. Keely Pulspover and Vance Thompson of Vance Thompson Vision. We really appreciate your time. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tune in next time when we look at the trend of consolidation in ophthalmology. We'll be joined by David Killingray, Managing Director of Spectrum, now part of the Vision Ophthalmology Group.